Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Adam, happy, uh, I don't know, man, I don't have an intro here. <laughs> happy Happy Tuesday. We record on Tuesdays, folks. It's Tuesday. We do. Yeah. I mean, they hear us on Mondays for the most part, but... For the uh, most part. Unless you want to be a patron, because then you can listen to us early, which is usually nice. You it know. is usually nice, especially <laughs> especially when someone remembers to upload it, even though even though it was definitely edited on time uh, and someone <laughs> didn't say, oh, yeah, that's where that is. And be like, well, I'm away from my computer, so I'll get to it really soon and then forgets for three days. Listen, the important thing, Zach, is that you are safe. You know, I think a lot of uh, listeners may have been alarmed by the ending of our last episode, but you are okay. Your home is fine. My the home storm passed. My home's fine. A bird feeder did get tilted over slightly and can be fixed. Uh, <laughs> so we got that that trouble. Actually, there was the, the the storm hit really bad, destroyed a bunch of uh, fences mostly. There's a Yikes. bunch of knocked over fences. Not mine. My Ugh. fence is in great shape. Okay. I did. Well, I'm I did glad for that. I did lose one tomato. I did lose oh. one unripe tomato. It was beaten around. It fell off uh, a little too early, and that is, you know, something that we're going to have to deal with. But I will, I will make it through somehow. If only you could have generated a magnetic field around your uh, your garden, you you would have been fine. I would have been fine. We're talking about Magneto this week, folks. We all like Magneto. He's a terrific athlete. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's one of my favorite characters. It's very good. He's a big old metal man. No, Colossus is a big old metal man. He's a big old man who can control metal. Yeah. So um, we have a range of stories this week. And just as a quick content warning, we are going to start with a mini series that does talk about Magneto's origin in the Holocaust. So if that's not your cup of tea and you would like to fast forward to stories two and three this week, not a problem. Who requested this particular uh, story, Zach? Yeah, this was requested by Patreon supporter Bobby Vinu. Uh, Bobby went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, said, Folks, I like what you're doing. I'd like to throw a couple, of, a couple of dollars your way. And hopefully you guys can talk about some cool and important X-Men stories, uh, which is what we're, what we're doing today. Uh, we are leading off uh, with a comic that you know, is not an easy one to talk about. In fact, it is one that likely was not going to get added to this list uh, without a request uh, because the subject matter is pretty tough. Uh, it's X-Men Magneto Testament from 2008, written by Greg Pak, uh, with art by Carmine Di Giamonico. Yeah, and um, we also have colors by Matt Hollingsworth here, right? Um, right. Which is important to note because the, the color schemes and the, the way that the color starts as very vibrant and goes to something much more sapped out as the story goes on, I think is, is really important to the storytelling. Um, so why don't we start with just the basics of what kind of a story Greg Pak is out to tell here? Um, you know, 
this was clearly a project that was one of, of deep historical fascination for Greg. Um, if you read this in trade paperback form, um, there is a considerable amount of information about the research that he went into to make this project. Um, but this is supposed to be the definitive story of, uh, we're now learning that this is 2008, but this is the first time we're learning that Mac, uh, that Magneto's birth name is Max. Um, and, uh, we're starting with a story about Max's family, um, as the Nazis come to power and then all the way through to his time, uh, at Auschwitz and his eventual escape with, uh, his eventual first wife Magda. So, it's a very intense story. Uh, there is no way around that in the way that uh, Greg is telling this story. Yeah, so let's let's lay out just a couple of key things, key discussion points about uh, this story, especially from a background. On, on one side, this is a comic created by two non-Jewish creators uh, about the Holocaust. That is, this is coming from the perspective of, you know, research and no one can really argue that Greg Pak put a lot of effort and understood you know some of the weight behind being the one to tell these stories and wanted to make sure that he was not being light about this subject matter he was not being flippant about the job that he was given on and the uh, the other hand is that Marvel fairly intentionally made this book to be taught there are Especially if you look at the trade paperback collection of this, there are like teaching questions and how do how do you execute this book in a learning setting in schools, which which is something I I've seen people do. I've talked to people who have taught this book, so there was there was a commercial aspect to this as well. You know more so than a normal comic. Uh, it's in that light. It's very. It's interesting to look at this because it's hard to it's hard to say that Greg Pak and Carmine Di Giamonico did a poor job at this. They tell a emotionally resonant story, a hard story to read, and an important story to remember given all of the bigotry and hate and anti-Semitism especially uh, that's going on in today's world where there are people coming to power in scary ways well it's interesting that you know i don't mean to interrupt you but uh, you know greg pock even mentions i think in the very first issues afterward that you know he's concerned in 2008 about holocaust deniers you know and it is really terrifying to still be in 2022 and see you know what are what i you know if we want to get honest, you know, some, some true signals of potential fascism within this country um, and seeing history, you know, go in places that are discriminating against people in the same fashion um, as what's being told here. To your point and what you brought up earlier, you know, the question of Greg and Carmine telling this story is an interesting one, um, especially from a commercial standpoint, because is this... Is this Greg and Carmine's story to tell is is a big part of the conversation about this particular miniseries, because there's no question that the research is done. 
Uh, I don't think there's any question that, that it's historically accurate. But when we're talking about something with such significance to a community, you know, you have to wonder why this project wasn't executed by people who were Jewish. Um, and and, and you specifically know. because the Holocaust was not just recent. It was in living memory at the time and continues to be in living memory. And not just not just someone's grandparents, you know, the people who were there are still breathing today. It's it's and even more so in 2008. It's an odd oversight. And, you know, potentially it's just because, hey, how many how many comics? You know, what? no, I, I want to cut that part. I don't want to I don't want to give any backdoor excuses or anything like that. It is in it is a choice that was made and it colors this book in an interesting way. That said, you know. With that, with with that as prologue to this, I mean, this is a book written by Gentiles about this event, and we are we are two non-Jewish dudes talking about it. So, you know what? That's yeah. that's how we are approaching approaching this. We're taking it based on this is this is our read from the fact that I mean, I don't know about you, Adam. I was heavily exposed to Holocaust narratives as I was growing up, uh, wanting to make sure that. You know, we understood that a horrific thing happened and the human cost of that and the fact that that was something that happened very, very recently at the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think it's another interesting thing to I know you wanted to bring this up as well, is that, you know, I'm remembering back to when I was in like fifth or sixth grade and seeing uh, I don't know if you got these, but those little scholastic order book, you know, order catalogs you used to get in elementary school. And I remember that was how I got my copy of Mouse. So the only reason I bring that up is because, you know, when we talk about comic books and we talk about Holocaust uh, memoirs, we can't we can't mistake this for a Holocaust memoir. At its core, it is still a a comic book, a superhero comic book. It is being told within the context of the fact that this main character will grow up to be Magneto, the character that we know and love versus, you know, what, what Art Spiegelman is doing with a generational tale of what happened to both his parents and then how he is dealing with that, uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the relationship he has with his father. So, there's a big difference between these two things. So when we're talking about this book, I think it's really important that it's looked at within that regard because, you know, one of the scenes that really stands out to me as I was reading this is, um, and we talked about this when we talked about uh, Old Man Logan, right? In Old Man Logan, Old Man Logan uh, doesn't pop his claws until the very end of the story. And it has this like an enormous impact. We have seen through classic X-Men backups and other flashbacks that we've seen throughout X-Men when Magneto finally, you know, has his powers and finally uses them for the first time, right? We know, or at least we have a general idea that it doesn't happen in this time period while right. he is, uh, you know, at Auschwitz. However, the story presents several different, several different times and the narrations uh, guides you to it as well, that you are almost anticipating that he is going to, right? There's a very, very difficult scene where um, 
where Max's parent, all their family is lined up and basically shot. Um, but we see in the one panel that Carmine freezes the bullets as they're going towards the family. And you have this idea as a superhero comic reader that maybe this is the moment. And what the story does, which I do think is pretty clever, is use that and subvert it and say, no, we are not going to use magic in this story. We're not going to use mutant powers, even all through the end. You know, there seem to be several places specifically where you could anticipate him, you know, becoming the mutant that we know. And that simply does not happen. He is allowed to be a human uh, without the powers and be subject to history. And, and it's, that I, that I think is a strength of the book. I think it's very important that Pac frames this around. This is a human story. You know, this is this is a story that if you scrubbed off the words x-men magneto from the cover like it would it would stand on its own and that is an important testament uh to this to the story and to the work that was put into it i do think your your point about hey this is this is a retelling this is not a memoir uh is pretty pretty key to this i mean this is this feels like the book that you would that marvel made to say listen if you're going to just be an ignorant comics fan and just only consume comics media, at least we've got like this one thing in here. Like this this can be that. But what I don't think is this is not a this is not a substitute for firsthand accounts. This is not a substitute for, you know, true memoirs from the people who were there. Uh this is if this is if this is used as an entryway to understand some of the horrors that were inflicted, then it has done its job at that. But I don't I don't think that this should be I don't think this should be the last thing that people read in the be all end all of their knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if we're talking about it in in using it as an academic resource, I also call that into question um, because I don't think this really fits those parameters and you know just to um clarify what i mean here again it is not that it is historically inaccurate i think one of the faults actually of these issues is that it becomes reliant on textbook style you know uh, footnoting if you will it tries to to get every last from a from a pure narrative standpoint it tries to make sure that every last important historical moment and every step towards Auschwitz is well documented. And I, on one hand, I appreciate that from an accuracy standpoint. I do think, to your point, you know, from a narrative in a five-issue comic, it it does slow things down a bit. Just, yeah, just from a storytelling standpoint, it becomes less about this character's experience and the people around him, you know, and it... I, I applaud Pac for trying to put all of this stuff in, but what the end result turns out to be is that you, you end up having these things, these pages that really just look like he's cataloging, you know, dates and cataloging events as opposed to them actually being part of the story or part of, of the, you know, the actual narrative of what's going on. Um, even though we know that, you know, if we're talking about this holistically and globally, that all of those things lead to where Max ends up. Um, 
So I want to say that as an artistic product, I think that, you know, this is very well done. Oh, yeah. I think Carmine's Carmine's artwork um, is not flashy. It is far from what we've seen him do in other superhero books. Um, and I, I got a hands off to Hollingsworth for the colors. Uh, it's 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 beautifully done in terms of the way that it slowly dilutes the color um, and goes from something very vibrant to something very faded out. Um, but I do think that all of these caveats that we're bringing up about what this story is and what it necessarily shouldn't be used for are two different things. You know what I mean? I and I I agree with that. I'll I'll tell you, folks, we are mostly a jokey podcast. It is very hard for us to to say yes is is x-men magneto testament the big story about magneto dealing with the holocaust and just telling it completely straight uh is that better or worse than what if wolverine was lord of the vampires like that that this does break our show i want to be very clear this this absolutely breaks what we do yeah, I'm, I mean, that's that's where things become difficult. And we'll get into the ranking in a second. But I think that the part that, be, that really complicates it beyond the difficulty of the subject matter itself is who created it and what Marvel intended the book to be used for from a commercial standpoint. And, right. you know, we've I think we've tread over everything. So I think... Where we go next is kind of a difficult thing to do, but I want to I want to treat this as the art object that it is, um, and see if we can f- fit it in here. Because as we do every week, uh, we have a big old list. We do. We have a list where we are ranking all the X Men stories. We have six hundred and sixty stories on the list today, uh, with House of X Powers of Ten being the best story on the list. Uh, the hundredth best story on the list being Uncanny X Men three fourteen Early Frost. The two hundredth best is Arms of the Octopus. The three hundredth best is I Magneto uh, from Uncanny one forty eight to one fifty. Uh, the four hundredth best is New Mutants Annual number three with the Impossible Man. Number five hundred is the All New X Men arc where they go to Paris, and number six hundred is uh, Onslaught. Uh, the Draco's at the bottom. Adam, I, if, if we're treating this as an art object, this is a very good art object. <laughs> this is, it is. This is a very well-told story. It has some qualms. And, I mean, folks, if you want to, if you're like, why aren't they recapping the issue more? Because what happens, happens. It's, unfortunately, a very common story. It's a narrative that an entire race of people and had to deal with and has yeah. been looked at. It's, it's what happens is what you think happens, and you're sitting there knowing that this is horrific, and it is keeping it at the forefront of your mind that this this is something that should never happen again, and we need to be alert and aware of the signs of things happening. Yeah. Uh, in that, you know, keeping that in mind, I think I would probably put it in the top 200. I would. I would likely put it in there i'm looking i'm looking at this because i think it i mean as a story it really does work it oh, really it does. it's very it, compelling it has a depth of emotion to it that very few other x-men works have mm-hmm. um i'm going to i'm going to say like something that is oddly similar uh in terms of 
like taking things seriously is Marvel's number two, which is at 54 right now. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I do think this is a more effectively told story than Marvel's two, which is bigotry is bad, but kind of in a generic sense. I think artistically Marvel's two definitely is probably the better comic book. Um, But I think as a story, you're probably right. You know, that this this probably does a better uh, job in terms of its writing and the way that it's put together. But I think that I wouldn't necessarily go into the top 50. I'm looking at the all-new X-Men 1 to 5, Bendis, Eminem. And I just think, you know, we are at the end of the day. I know what this is, but we are still talking about it from the perspective of being a superhero. You know, it's in that world. No matter how far we want to, you know, try and take it out of there, it's being published by Marvel Comics, and it is that thing that's it is, being connected to this villain. So I, I truly understand Magneto, and I understand why this comic exists. This is odd that Marvel Comics published a like straightforward canon in universe Holocaust story. Like, yeah, it's yeah. that that is an odd dichotomy that i do not know how to fully process yeah so at 53 we have new x-men 127 which is the zorn issue i believe is that correct yes these are these are on pretty similar footing uh right above that is chamber the brian k vaughn series Mm -hmm. i think this is better than chamber but i would i would argue that the end of x-men legacy for we are many where legion deals with and comes to accept his mental illness and take agency for himself in a big superhero story might be better for the context of this list i agree so um we are gonna slot this in at 52 keeping in mind that this is a very difficult book to uh talk about and to put in the context of our show so um, I hope that we did an okay job. Um, the rest well, of the stories we're talking about today are um, much um, more superhero-y. Yeah, folks, you know, if if you want to read more, you know, read a actual memoir like Night or read a, if you are really like into comics and you haven't read Mouse, go read Mouse. Uh, absolutely. You, you should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just comics history right there. Uh, so... Definitely something I, I, I would recommend you checking out, but, you know, keep all the things that we were talking about as part of that conversation in your mind as as you're reading. So um, pretty cool. Okay, Adam, are, are we are we going to do an about face and now be a silly, happy podcast for a little bit longer <laughs> while we talk about Magneto, which I'll yeah, say I mean, leading off with that story and then going into goofy Magneto stories it is hurting my brain a little bit. <laughs> Listen, um, you know, that is one of the weird, wild things about Magneto is that he is many things. You know, he is both this uh, character who's been positioned as someone who lived through actual history. Um, he's also this very silly Silver Age villain who we will uh, talk about later in the show or even in the second part of the show. And he's also this like extremely dynamic character that continues to be awesome uh, to the present day, you know, in, in books like X-Men Red. 
Yeah, Magneto rules. Uh, yeah. The other two stories we have today may not be as much Magneto ruling as possible, though the first one we're going to talk <laughs> about is about Magneto trying to rule something, uh, and that is X-Men Magneto War. Uh, this yeah, so- is a collection that... So let's let's put this into some context. The year is 1999. It has just turned over. Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel uh, are not writing X-Men anymore. They had a short tenure, and they did some stuff, and they put some cards back on the table and said, we're out. So Marvel <laughs> calls up their friends, and they say, listen, Alan Davis, Fabian Nicieza, buds, can you pinch hit for us for a little bit? Can you do a few months? Uh, and those few months for Alan Davis lasted uh, a, a year and a half. It was six issues, six issues, six issues, and he kept getting six issue arcs and being like, "I don't know what, I, I don't know what you want me to do with this, guys." Uh, and it's not great, but the start of that is Magneto War. Uh, it begins uh, with X Men eighty six goes through or eighty five goes through eighty six. Uh, also, Uncanny three sixty six and three sixty seven, and the X Men Magneto War number one one shot. Joe Kelly writes writes a bit of eighty five. Alan Davis does the pencils. Fabianicieza also co writes this with Davis. Uh, Lee Weeks does art on some of it. Laniel Francis Yu and Davis take on excuse me the bulk of the crossover. Yeah, so uh, you know if you ever wanted to know what Joseph's origin was, this is the story for you. And we've talked about Joseph a couple times on this show before, but. Um, I don't know that anybody was really pining for an explanation, but Alan Davis decides, hey, I'm going to provide one for you anyway. So that's what Alan Davis really does <laughs> is say, we have to write out Joseph. <laughs> Joseph is bad and we got to get rid of him. And he's been around for far too long. Joseph's been around for like four years now. Yeah. Too yeah. long. Too long for Joseph. And, yeah. And Joseph was, if I'm just guessing was initially supposed to be magneto post the absolutely fall he was supposed to be magneto right uh it's just i guess they decided that you know they that wasn't going to be the case anymore uh um, well, what happened to scott lobdell uh was no longer yeah. on the books right uh, right right and it's a this is a weird one because it opens up with 85 which i think is actually the strongest issue of the run of this okay. series where Magneto decides that he is going to give humanity one last chance. He is going to find the most average guy he can <laughs> and try and see, is he bigoted? Does he hate mutants? This Magneto- is such a stupid way of doing this. Oh, this, listen, Ma- this... Magneto's plan is bad. Ugh. It he's is gonna, very He's going to rest though. all of the world's fate on this one construction dude who's like, I ain't got no problem with mutants. Want to get a hot dog? (laughs) Magneto's plan blows up in his face for a while, which is the point that Davis is making. Uh, Or Kelly, I guess, in this case. But he's saying, yeah, I mean, mutants are kind of scary, but like, I don't know, I'm just not a bigot. He's just saying, I don't want to, look, man, I don't know what your deal is. You're kind (laughs) of giving me some racist vibes. I don't want to, man, I'm not. I I don't want to talk about this. Can, Can you leave me alone? And Magneto then scares him to death, and he's like, "You're you're insane!" Because he tried to kill him. He's at the, he's not yelling 
racial slurs at Magneto when Magneto says, oh, look, he's racist. Right. No, he's <laughs> mad because Magneto's throwing cars at him. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> at the yeah, same he, time. He baits him into saying something like vague about killing mutants, I guess. No, but... he says killing Magneto, which is fair because Magneto right. <laughs> in the late 90s. Him. Is trying to kill him right now. It has done some truly terrible stuff in the 90s. Absolutely. Uh, it's a dumb plan because uh, it's like flipping a coin. And then th- it, it only becomes dumber because the whole thing about this is that Magneto is going to turn off the world's Magnetosphere. That's a real thing. Magneto- that's, what Ma- that's what Magneto's named after. I know. I know. But he's going to just want to be the- clear. He's going to turn off the world's magnetosphere. I like it. It sounds it sounds fun. Uh, from his Arctic base that we learned about back in X-Men Unlimited, number one, right? Um, and his robot, F- uh, Ferris, yes. uh, is not Bueller, is going to go to the UN and make a proposal, an offer they just can't refuse. So on the one hand, the story is about magneto saying he's going to kill all of humanity based on this conversation he has with this dude however it's really not about that at all turns out he just wants to move yeah magneto wants his own island uh which he already had the octopus one but that was far too small yeah far too small that's a summering island really he wanted (laughs) he wants a land where he can rule and you know it's interesting because you could frame it as a proto Krakoa kind of thing of like a mutant nation but it's mm-hmm. not that like guys read any of the genosha stuff that's not what it was it was magneto's evil country yeah he he wants to rule the land of genosha now that reveal is basically on like the last two pages of this story so the bulk of this story is unfortunately split between two things one our current X-Men lineup, who unfortunately is not the fun Joe Kelly lineup. It is this like classic X-Men lineup of, you know, uh, who is it? It's Storm, uh, Wolverine, Rogue, Gambit, Kitty Pride, Colossus, and Nightcrawler. Yep. Nope. Yeah, great. And Marrow. We're, we're, Marrow's there. Uh, oh, right. Okay, okay. Marrow's hanging around. That's true. Uh, gets some good screen time. They're basically fighting the Acolytes for like four or five issues here. Two sets of acolytes. There's the dumb acolytes and there's the, the like the A team, right? And then the other side of it is Joseph learning his backstory. Uh, I was saying before we started listening, this is basically uh, Alan Davis's deadly genesis because he introduces Astra. Yeah, Astra was the secret sixth member of Magneto's <laughs> original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants who leaves for mysterious circumstances that are never brought up, but she's very mad at Magneto. She has teleportation powers. She's Amelia Voigt, but Amelia's in this story also. Yeah, yeah, it's very dumb, and uh, Astra is very Alan Davis. Like, Astra feels... She's vampy in this. Right? Like, Why is she vampy? Very vampy, constantly using nonsense made-up words when she talks about things from outer space that really feel like an Excalibur script, right? And do not fit the tone of this story that Alan is telling here. And essentially, the backstory of Joseph is retconned to say that when Magneto fell from Avalon, she created this 
He's not a clone. He's some nonsense word. He's a clone. Uh, he's a clone. He's not a clone, a clone, but he's a clone. But he was cloned to be more powerful than Magneto so he could kill Magneto as revenge for whatever Magneto did to Astra. And, Never brought uh, up again. Nope. And so the resolution of this story is that Joseph uses his superior Magneto powers to stop Magneto's anti-Magnetosphere powers and then Joseph becomes one with the Magnetosphere and disappears forever? Did I get that right? Yes. Also, I forgot, Adam. Apparently, Astra does show up in Magneto Not a Hero 1 through 4, a story that I have completely forgotten about. Also, they say Astra appears in House of X number 5, but as as one of the experts on House of X number 5, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe as a... Uh... You know, a, a small body that maybe looks like somebody. No, because I because I I may not have written the book on House of X number five. I did edit the book. <laughs> I did edit the book on House of X number five, uh, and I don't believe that's Astra. I think the Marvel Wiki is wrong. I'm looking up House of X number five because I'm mad about oh. it now. Because <laughs> I know I know what scene they're talking about. They're talking about when all the villains come uh, right. at the end. It's the last. It's the last scene. And it is, they're all walking in, and Apocalypse does his handshake with the doves. Yeah. Yep. All right, now I'm curious. That issue's so good. That issue really is so is. good. House of X is so good. Uh, hold on. House of X is so good. Hold on, hold on. I, hey, I, it I'm might be the best it. X-Men story. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, it might be at the top of our list. Hold on a sec. I'm, I'm looking this up now, because I want to see. Maybe it is revealed in, in Magneto, Not a Hero, a Scotty Young Clay Man book that I will never read again, except for, for this podcast. Okay, I'm looking. Uh, there is she a makes... character. There is a character who's standing near uh, Dakin. Hold on. I'm, on what page? I'm on page 29. You gotta zoom in. So to the left of Wolverine's head, there is a character that does kind of look like Astra. Maybe. Right? I mean, like, maybe. Yeah. That could be Astra. That could be any random background character with a bun. <laughs> yeah, if you look at the, the pages where the characters are, are entering uh, through the portal, she is definitely not there. Yeah, because but... Animex is. Animex from the... From yes. Adam is there, which <laughs> rules. She's riding a dinosaur. Right. So take that for what it's worth. Um, Nothing has ruled harder than when I got to that page. It was like, okay, random, wild side, that's my <laughs> sister, lady mastermind, Animex. <laughs> bring back Animex. Anyway, uh, so that's Magneto works. That's Magneto. We're in a Magnetosphere, and okay. Uh, there's there's one there's one other thing that happens in Magneto War that I want to address. Oh, it happens in X Men Magneto War Volume One Number One. Okay, and it's the worst thing because what happens is all of the rogue acolytes, the bad ones, uh, which include Fabian Cortez's team, like uh, the Kleinstocks, Senyaka, Spore, Projector, Static, Barnacle, Rem Ram. Mm -hmm. You know Rem Ram, our favorite Ram Ram. That's R E M R A M. Rem Ram. Our favorite. Rem Ram's, our favorite. Rem Ram's a new guy. Rem Ram is new. Oh, he dies in... Oh, he dies off panel when Genosha falls, is what the Marvel Bummer. wiki says. No, he only really has one actual appearance, so it's fine. Anyway, Rem Ram does... And all the, all the bad acolytes, they do show up to Xavier's school, and they said, 
Okay, so we don't trust and like Magneto anymore. Can can we be good guys and live with you? And <laughs> Professor X says, no, screw you guys. <laughs> He's like, I built this school for the good, respectable mutants, not you hooligans. It's terrible, well, Charles. Well, but, but hold on. First of all, Rogue calls him out on his BS, right? But then... Rogue immediately calls him out. She's like, I was a terrorist. Logan's killed a billion people. I do love the second part of that where he's like, no, but hold on. I told him no because we're going to use him as bait so that we can figure out where Magneto is. And they're like, well, why would they know? They don't follow him anymore. They very explicitly don't know, Charles. (laughs) It's a very bad plan do you know who does not show up in the rest of magneto war it's rem ram and spore in the kleinstock brothers no we do get melon camp for a little bit which we get melon camp who i don't know when melon camp came back from the dead because he got exploded (laughs) from the inside right an executioner song so he's still walking around we also get we get katu and kamel in Vindaloo, which oh man, that's a that's a bad one you did there, Davis and Nicieza. Y'all y'all shouldn't have named the only Indian guy in X Men Vindaloo. That's this ain't great. It's basically like I will say, Alan Davis's art looks fantastic. He's an amazing Let me artist. Art looks good. They both look good. He's doing a doing a fine job. Um, I think that Dan Green is a terrible match with Lee Weeks for inks because he kind of makes Lee Weeks look like JRJR. He does not make um, Lee Weeks look good, and Lee Weeks is an artist whose work I have enjoyed from yeah, time to time. Absolutely. So uh, Senyaka came. Oh, great. not Senyaka. Do you want to know when? Uh, do you want to know when Mellencamp came back? Yeah, how did he come back? Oh, I don't know how he came back. He just is back in 1998's Heroes for Hire number 16. Oh. That's a uh, that's a crossover with the book Quicksilver, The Siege of Wondegore. Uh, that's that's when uh, the Knights of Wondegore have to fight the Acolytes, and they time up team up with the Heroes for Hire to do that. You remember the Mountain of Wondegore, like from the bad movie? Well, you know, Quicksilver's in this in this briefly in a conversation with Joseph, and he mentions that he mentions that he is one of the knights. Oh yeah, that's when that's when Quicksilver uh, went to Wondergore for his solo series to become one of the knights of Wondergore. I've never read it. I will <laughs> never read it because I have no time for the High Evolutionary. I have negative time for the High Evolutionary. That's really funny. I hate the High Evolutionary so much. He's the worst. So. In this story's defense, I don't think this is quite as bad as down at 6.30, Eve of Destruction, which is basically... No, this is better than Eve of Destruction. Like, do you know Okay, do you know what's weird about this, though? Yeah. So, like like we had said at the start, and I forgot to bring this up, and I apologize, but like I said, this is them kind of, like, resetting the X-Men after Joe Kelly and Steve Seagull did something weird with them that was good, actually, uh, but Marvel didn't think it would sell enough underwear. Mm-hmm. You know what the last Scott Lobdell X-Men story was, right? It's um, it's leading up to Eve of Destruction, though, isn't it? It's Operation it's, Zero Tolerance. Yeah, Operation Zero. Like his, his and, last... and, and OZT was supposed to end... Pretty with... much like this. Right? Pretty much like this. Yeah, I so remember you guys So their first idea talking... coming back was to do this. Yeah, because you guys were talking about this in the Slack the other day, was that the original ending of OZT was Magneto tearing the helicarrier apart and then it becomes an all-out war between like magneto and his followers and like bastion and 
you know, all the humans, right? Like, isn't that, wasn't that the thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it was. So it is weird that they just keep like revisiting Magneto threatens to destroy the world multiple, multiple times. After it was their this. only idea. It was yeah, their only idea. Yeah. It's kind of bummer. So, uh, higher than six thirty, but, um, I mean, it's, it's better than where's the 12. Cause this is better than the 12. <laughs> the 12 is at 626 so it's not much higher <laughs> oh wow yeah um ooh, is this better or worse than the rise of mtech the dawn of ntech at 550 i think this is better i mean at the very least uh, alan davis's art is is coming out swinging yeah um this is not as good as 520 mtech is at 550 it's not as good as 526 which is wildcats x-men it's not nope no, it is not. Uh, and not as good as Days of Future Present. Yeah, I'm looking down the list. That's a 531. Probably no, better mis- than the Wizards of the Coast X-Men movie special at 540, no? I mean, yeah, probably. But like 537, Cyberforce X-Men. Cyberforce X-Men better. <laughs> it is. Uh, and right above that, Mystique 1 to 6. Yeah, I think, that, I think yeah. you're right. Um, is but this I would... better or worse than the extremists, the uh, the Ed Brubaker story about the Morlocks? I think this is better than that, and I also think this is better than uh, X Men Half at five thirty eight. So this would be our new five thirty eight. This would be our new five thirty eight. That's fine. Uh, this is Magneto War. Yeah, guys, Magneto Magneto as a character was not doing so hot uh, a lot of the time. No, it's amazing how, like, nuanced he becomes under Claremont. And then, like, they just totally are like, no, we're going to make him two-dimensional again. It, it doesn't yeah. make much sense. Uh, it makes much sense if you're John Byrne and you're like, everything should be back the way it was when I was a boy. When I was a boy. Uh, when, when I, John Byrne, was a boy. All of the heroes were heroes and the women stayed silent in church. John Byrne's a bad man. Oh man! Every time I think about, every time I think about John Byrne, I think about the photo that I've seen of him in the um, the chair that he sometimes. Sit. I don't know if he does this all the time, but oh, his his con desk where he's his elevated where he's, con desk so he can look down so he at can people. look down on people. Yes. <laughs> so no no one can be taller than John Byrne at conventions. Oh my god! Jeez, right, John so Byrne, good artist. Kind of crappy, dude. Terrible. Actually, here's... There's no kind of about it. No, I mean, like, the dirty secret is that uh, Terry Austin's a good anchor. John Byrne's fine. John Byrne's good. Terry Austin makes a lot of people better. Yeah, he does. Right? Right? Excellent anchor. Okay, so... Terry Austin did not ink this one. We went (laughs) from super serious to kind of, like, middling to now we're going into super goofy territory. So we're on an emotional (sighs) roller coaster here, folks. What are we talking about for our third story today? In an oddly important plot point to X-Men history, Adam, do you remember how Magneto was turned into a baby? Well, Magneto used to have a really fun hobby. He used to make mutants for fun. And one of those mutants backfired. Actually, I think most of them backfired, (laughs) to be fair. (laughs) Uh, The thing is that I remember watching X-Men, the movie 2000, in thinking, man, David Hayter, voice actor for Solid Snake, this is a script that has some flaws. 
Like, why is Magneto trying to turn everybody into mutants? And then you read Silver Age Magneto, or I guess this is technically early Bronze Age, but still, like, 1974 Magneto, and you're like, oh, right. That's just what he did for a decade. <laughs> That's he, how he, he gets was, his kicks. I'm going to make you into a mutant. I'm going to make you into a mutant. We're all going to be mutants. <laughs> yeah, it's like Oprah. So we have an interesting cast here. We've never talked about the Defenders before on this program. So, Oh, the non-team? Who are these Defenders? Because there's only four of them. Yeah, in this, in this series, there's only four. Uh, it's Doctor Strange, Hulk, Valkyrie, and Nighthawk. This is not the most classic Defenders lineup because Valkyrie... Well, Nighthawk isn't in the original, original Defenders. And Valkyrie, I think, joins soon after. But she's not in the very first lineup because you you also have uh, the Submariner normally and the Silver Surfer. Yeah. Usually, I mean, it's, it's a wild lineup. So the Defenders are already from page one just like a real wacky group, you know. Well, they're the non-team. You know that, right? That's how they were described. They were, here are the characters we have that don't fit. <laughs> we Night tried Hulk on is, the Avengers. He doesn't work. Nighthawk is wearing this absolutely bonkers costume with a red do cape. We, people don't know Nighthawk, do they? Well, we, we should probably explain that this Nighthawk does not look like uh, the metal Nighthawk of 90s fame. You're thinking of Darkhawk. Darkhawk. One of the members of the Fraternity of Raptors from the Shi'ar Empire? Yes, this is not Darkhawk. This is Nighthawk. This is this is Squadron Supreme Nighthawk from the Squadron Supreme universe. He's Batman. He is. He is. He's got his, like, you know, there we his go. riches. And he does have a jetpack and a cape, so we'll give him that. But I, I, you know what I love is he has these little wings underneath his eyes. What a cool little design thing that is. Yeah, uh, Nighthawk's, Nighthawk's bad. Uh, and this story is weird because what happens is Professor X teleports stuff, telepathics to the Defenders and says, Y'all, I need your help with Magneto. And they're like, what about the X-Men? They're busy. <laughs> they're off the planet. They're doing something else. What did they say they were doing? Because they're in a different book. They Oh, are... no. Do you know what they're, do you, do you know what they are busy with? They're, they're in Marvel Team-Up 23, so what is that? That's an Iceman story. They were they were just in New York. They were fighting <laughs> Equinox. Uh, oh. That's that's Terrence Sorensen. You know, you know Equinox, right? Well, that was the secret mission from which even Professor Xavier cannot summon them back, so it must have been really important. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> I do love how they uh, get the Hulk uh, to join up this particular mission. And Hulk is like, oh, it is magician. What happened to the rest of your body? Because it's just Doctor Strange's head. (laughs) Hulk is peak dumb Hulk here. It's so much fun. He's he's not just quiet Hulk. He's dumb Hulk. Yes. But by the time we get to like page four, we've had so much nonsense already. Right? We've got like a, a, a... a cosmic flame coming out of an urn. We've got Valkyrie talking about how she's not in her actual body. She's been, yeah, that's just what Valkyrie does. Yeah. That's Valkyrie. We've got Nighthawk and his, his like secret benefactor on the phone. Who's going to get them some money. We get telepathic projections. Like there is so much silliness in this. Like I'm already giggling as I'm reading this. So they get to the cave. There's a cave. They get attacked by a monster who turns out to be projection. And then wait, who can, who can do illusions like that? Hmm. Could it be 
Mastermind of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yep. So their lineup right now consists of the Blob, Unis, Mastermind, Lorelai, and their Lorelai. Lorelai, another mutant that Magneto created one time. <laughs> right. So uh, Magneto imprisons them because he wants them to all witness the fall of all of the mankind because Magneto has stumbled onto ancient gibberish in a cave and he's been able to create Alpha. The ultimate mutant. Yes. Alpha comes out of the oven and he's not done yet. It's like, you know, sometimes if you're baking, like you need to let it rest for a second before you cut in. You need yep. to let it set. Alpha hasn't set yet. So he starts as uh, the Hulk, and he's very dumb. He's like a big baby. And then over the course of issue 16, uh, which, by the way, this is by Len Wein and Sal Buscema. Klaus Jensen does the inks. Great job. Uh, Glennis Wayne does the, does the colors on this. Um, Alpha goes from Hulk to Starchild very quickly. Yeah. It's really fast, and it's also very funny, because every time he uses his powers and gets smarter, his head starts to get bigger. So it's sort of Massive noggin. <laughs> he's just, it's it's like a, several bowling balls in there. He's, yeah. he's got a Jimmy Neutron situation going on, <laughs> and instead of resolving the fight in any means... By any means, the defenders stand there while Alpha decides, actually, I don't like Magneto, and turns him and the Brotherhood into babies. Yeah, that's pretty much it. He uses his powers to cosmically judge the defenders versus the Brotherhood, uh, decides the Brotherhood is guilty, and says, hey, you guys are acting like kids. I'm going to make you into literal babies. And that is how the story ends. Did I mention this all happens at the United Nations? And a, a strange recurring theme here. Yeah, it's weird. It's so important that Magneto gets turned into a baby, though. Yes, it is it's, really it's important. It's the crux. It's the crux of so many important comics that Magneto got turned into a baby once. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because without this, we don't have Moira doing the genetic experimentation that we learn about later, which is a retcon, right? But what? Because... Okay, okay. No, hold on. Because Christopher, Christopher had to write that. Christopher Claremont chose to write that. <laughs> Christopher Claremont chose to unbabyfy Magneto, which he could have done off screen. No one would have mm -hmm. noticed. And he pretty much does. But then he could have never addressed it again. Instead, he makes the cornerstone of Magneto's A, legal defense, and <laughs> right. B, his grand exit from the X-Men in that whole storyline about that time Magneto got turned into a baby. You never hear anybody else talking about that time they got turned into babies. Well, except for Blob very recently in a Victor Lavelle comic that ruled. Yes, that was just so, so great. Blob's, Blob's like, I, I got turned into a baby once. <laughs> I don't know, man. Who Jeez, is he talking I, to in that scene? It's so funny. He's talking to... Uh, oh, They're just standing on a cliff. and He's talking to is, Skin. He's yes. talking to Skin from Gen X. <laughs> he's just like, yeah. I got turned into a baby once. I don't know, man. Life's weird. It's the, the gift that Leo Williams gave us of Blob being a good character cannot be overstated. Oh, it's wonderful. Though I do it's so really, wonderful. 
I do want to return to one of my ongoing things that I've learned to enjoy from uh, doing this show, which is the friendship between uh, Blob and Unis the Untouchable, who is very fun in this uh, in this uh, adventure as well. I love I They're love great. when Unis pops up. It's great. Unis the Untouchable sucks so much. Do you know how many kids Unis the Untouchable has had that are also superheroes? Well, Unisconi was Unisconi. Was in, I don't speak Italian. I don't Unischione know. was in in uh, Magneto War. We didn't we didn't mention that. Um, and Radius was I don't know in Alpha Flight somewhere. I won't read Alpha Flight, so <laughs> sorry. So obviously I'm not going Un- to do it. So Unis's uh, problem with with you know touching cake has obviously been resolved because he's doing some touching. Unis Unis, listen that cad. He's gonna find a way. <laughs> he's a uh, he is he is. It's just you can't resist him. He's got that. He's got that swarthy Italian charm. Absolutely. Uh, so you may think I'm crazy here, but I had so much fun reading these two issues. They were really funny. You know, like the Hulk speaking Hulk speak is hilarious. The level of sort of like Silver Age esque shenanigans that happens in these two issues is just so silly. They launch the UN into the atmosphere. Uh, they they make rock people out of the parking lot and have them attack the defenders. And then the whole baby thing at the end. I mean, it's so patently silly that I really enjoyed it. It is absolutely silly. Also, I think it's still bad. I still don't <laughs> think it's good. <laughs> I, like, I, I hold don't on. Know. I think there's value here. Do you think this is better or worse than that time Professor X became the juggernaut in What If number two, Volume 2, Number 13 at 473 on our list? Because I don't. No, I wasn't going to put it that high. It's okay, so good. Like, I was yeah. concerned, Adam. No, but I think, we're, I think we are probably in the 500s, you know? Like, here's, here's my defense of this. I had more fun reading this stupid little story where at the end they all get turned into babies more, more than when I read Magneto War. I, I just did. No, I think, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You're not seeing me go to bat for Magneto War. Um, <laughs> I did enjoy reading at 512 Deadpool, I Want You to Want Me better. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that that was a better constructed tale. I think this might be a better read than Spotlight on Star Jammers, though, at 532. Yeah, I mean, like, is this better than Search for Cyclops at 514? I don't know. It might be. I mean, Search for Cyclops is a chore to get through, and this this was just really silly and fun. Um, what's Exiles 8 to 10? Is that a... That's the, that's the Coliseum one. Oh, yeah, this is better than that. Okay, then right below the Deadpool story. Then this is Great. 513 now. Good work, guys. My goodness. What a journey we have been on this episode. Uh, folks, I want to thank Bobby for uh, for recommending this and throwing things out on Patreon so that we would cover these stories. If you want to be like Bobby, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, toss a couple of coins into our coffers, and then we'll do a, we'll do a, we'll do a story. That you want us to do, Adam? What do you got going on? What's what 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 are you doing today? Ah, uh, geez. So, folks, uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, if you are not following the our best X Men stories on Comics XF, I highly recommend it. I think the third one just came out, written by the Claremont Run about Inferno, uh, which is a, a lot of fun. And if you missed mine or uh, Karen charms uh piece 
um, the series continues for the summer. So check that out. And Zach, what do we got on tap for next week? Do you know what we're talking about next week? No, what are we talking about next week, Zach? Nicotine, violin, vacadin, marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol. Those sound like drugs. Nicotine, violin, vacadin, marijuana, ecstasy, alcohol. We're talking. We're talking about the feel-good hit of the summer. We're talking about drugs, buddy. Okay, folks. This has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it.